The Way Out Podcast, episode 191. Growing up, it was normal on a Saturday morning for my dad to go out, cut the grass, come in, grab a beer or eight and sit down with me and give me a small Dixie cup of beer. And I can remember being six, seven, eight years old and thinking, man, this is great. Because I immediately, even at that age, I can remember to this day, that it changed the way that I felt. I can remember the first time that I ever like really drank, like drank without my parents knowing. And it was at my 13th birthday party and my parents threw me a surprise party and they left all of us alone in the basement and we had a bar in our basement. And I remember getting in to the vodka and not just drinking a little bit, I mean, I was, hammered because that's what I did. I've never had one glass of anything alcoholic in my life ever. I've never had that sip and savor gene. I don't understand. I don't understand these people who can like have like this beautiful glass of wine and they're smelling. I can't get it down my throat fast enough. This was the theme of my life was just party, 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 harder and harder. And there were never any major consequences until I was leaving this club one night in Atlanta and I was all dressed up and I'm driving and I get a DUI. By the end of it, I was drinking two bottles of wine every single night to the point where my liver hurt. And if there was anything else in the house, I would drink that too and popping Adderall and I would ration out my alcohol calories so that I can balance them with my food intake mm. so that I could stay thin. I drank one whole box and then I had this bottle of pills in my hand and, and I was staring at it and I opened up the other box and I was getting ready to drink it. And all of a sudden I realized that I didn't want to be the mom who left their kids behind where everybody was whispering that oh, their mom committed suicide. So I started screaming at this God that I didn't know. Everything changed. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Like, he changed the way that I dress. He changed the way that I talk. He changed the way that I carry myself. He changed the way that I mother. He changed the way that I work. He changed the fact that I can't lie. He changed the fact, everything. I I walked in purity up until the time that I was married. Now I'm getting a divorce, grace and mercy. But like, all of these things, he changed everything. Your walk and your story is your testimony. And that testimony will save someone else. And there are certain parts of my story that I don't share because that part of my story is just for that girl. And when I see that girl, I know that girl. And when I see that girl, I go up and I say to that girl, I know you. And that that's that part of my story that I don't share because it's not meant for the world, it's just meant for her. I peace for the first time in my life. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast partners with all recovery rings and all recovery rings 
Com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's all recoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Every week, we'll be asking for your thoughts on next week's topic. Someone somewhere needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and this week, co-host extraordinaire Jason's got a killer interview with Heidi Davis, a woman in long-term recovery from alcoholism and addiction and very passionate about what brought her to and keeps her in long-term recovery. I happened to read one of her social media posts that read like an intro to a recovery memoir and immediately said to your favorite recovery co-host, get her on the show. I can't tell you exactly why I was immediately compelled to get Heidi on to share her story. But I've learned after a few 24 hours in recovery to trust my instincts when they speak to me. And this time, my instincts were demanding for Heidi to share her experience, strength, and hope. I do not claim to be a Christian, nor do I believe that Christianity or any other religion is the only way to recover or the only path to freedom from addiction and alcoholism. What I do sincerely and wholeheartedly believe, however, is that it is indeed, if you will indulge me, a play on words, a bona fide way out of addiction and or alcoholism. As the old 12-step mantra goes, take what you like and leave the rest. I urge you to listen to the similarities in Heidi's story. Heavens know I found more than a few myself, and indeed listened for the commonality in Heidi's struggle through a ravenous, unrelenting, and certainly progressive bout of alcoholism and addiction, and look for the universal key to recovery regardless of methodology. Complete surrender. You'll be nodding your head and laughing along as you relate to Heidi unfurling her story in only the way she can. So listen up. 
Hey everybody, welcome to episode 191 of the Way Out Podcast. Today I have a special guest, Heidi Davis, on the show. Say hi, Heidi. Hi. Heidi is a, we've been Facebook friends for a while. Um, I know she's a Christ follower and that's how I found her or why I think I requested her as a friend. I'd seen, you do Bible studies online um, regularly and I, so I've been watching those here and there for, I would say it's been a couple of years, maybe, or a year or something. And yeah, I just, it was weird because the other day you made this and then you did it again today. I should, I got to share that one. So, but she just put this profound post online. I shared it out uh, to a few recovery groups. I didn't even know she, this woman was in recovery. And then uh, I got a private message from the creator of the Way Out podcast, Charles, and it was uh, in response to your post. And it said, get her on the show. And I just <laughs> said, all right, I'll reach out to her. And it was literally like two minutes later, I sent him screenshots of you saying you know, that you'd be honored to do it. So thank you. Thank Amen. you for responding and being open to doing this um we we just love having you here i'm excited because i i've seen a lot of similarities in us uh through the things that you said and just your attitudes how they were and especially and how they've changed so looking forward to hearing your story heidi (laughs) i'm honored that you that you asked there's there's a lot more than what was in that post but Mm, yeah i'm sure (laughs) I am sure. <laughs> There's always more. <laughs> uh, um, so for starters, let's uh, hear about, you know, like to usually start it with some kind of like a family of origin kind of stuff, you know, like what was it like growing up and, and things like that. And then, uh, yeah, and then uh, we'll move forward into other things. But first, first, let's hear what's your uh, clean date. Uh, in 20 days, it'll be three years since I've had a drink and I don't really count the days, but I gave up taking Adderall to fuel a eating disorder six months and some odd days ago. So you gave up the Adderall and the eating disorder? The, well, the eating disorder is something that I battle every day. It's Mm -hmm. not like you, it doesn't just go away. It's that demon that kind of meets you every day, but I have not given in to my eating disorder in six months. And yeah, it is no small feat, my friend. And I know that that's not just six months straight worth of miracles, you know, as far as daily, because that's numerous miracles in a day sometimes to uh, resist the, you know, just the compulsion. It's, it's a, it's an obsession, just like anything else. Um, wow. Good for you, man. Congratulations. Thank you. you know, you're still breaking chains or Jesus, but you know, Jesus is a chain breaker, but you know, Amen. it's through him that you can do it. But still, like, you're the one that gets to drop those shackles, you know, and you're the one that gets to feel the freedom. So it just shows that this is a growth process. It's not like every day we just are fixed and now we're good you know no we never arrive, right we never no. arrive so every day i get to make the choice to surrender my day to jesus and sometimes i have to make the choice to surrender every minute 
Hell yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like I surrender, I take it back. I surrender, I take it back. <laughs> Real talk. All right, so how's how's about, yeah, let's uh, go into some of that family of origin stuff, and you, I'm giving you the wheel. All right, well, I grew up in what would seemingly be a very normal home. My parents were married. I had an older sister. Both of my parents were successful. Everything on the outside of my life looked perfect. Um, and I did have two very loving parents. Um, just one of my parents happened to have an eating disorder and the other one happened to be an alcoholic. And, you know, so I'm growing up in this household with a mom who had a really unhealthy relationship with food and a really unhealthy relationship with her weight. I was growing up with a dad who was an alcoholic, whose dad and mom were alcoholics, whose whole family history was a history of alcoholism. And it still permeates that side of, of my family. Um, so growing up, it was normal on a Saturday morning for my dad to go out, cut the grass, come in, grab a beer or eight and sit down with me and give me a small Dixie cup of beer. And I can remember being six, seven, eight years old and thinking, man, this is great. Right. Because I immediately, even at that age, I can remember to this day that it changed the way that I felt. Dude, I, not to interrupt, but seriously, this is going to be fun. I, I have a feeling this is going to happen a lot. But interestingly enough, my dad used to have a house in Crystal, Minnesota when I was growing up, and they had a bar in the basement. It was uh, previous to that. It was my grandfather and grandmother's house. And uh, he would have parties pretty much. I went to his house every other weekend. He would have parties over there, and it was always darts and video games and loud music and and hanging out and he would, he had these little mugs. They, they were like really fancy looking ones with like nature scenes yeah. in, and they were maybe this big, but they were thick glass and he kept them in the free, you know, the freeze box. So they were frosties and he would give me a little bit in there and I always felt so growing up. And then he had this thing called a Jolly Pecker and it was like one of them wind up toys and it was like a little penis and it jumped around. <laughs> and I remember he would let me play with that. And then he had this other one that like mooned you. It had right, a little like a uh, blood pressure kind of valve thing on it. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and that was like, you know, these were like adult themed jokes, toys, whatever, and you know, adult beverages, and of course, they're all foul mouthed sailors and stuff that <laughs> you know, talking like sailors. I mean, so it was yeah. like I felt really growing up and like a part of it because of that magic juice that he was giving me. So. Yeah. It's weird though that you mentioned that because I've never heard anybody else say that about their parents when they were a kid. But yeah, my dad used to give me that. <laughs> yeah, and you and and it wasn't like you thought about it. It wasn't like, you know, they thought they were doing anything wrong. It was just this was normal. This was normal in our house. I mean, I can yeah. remember the first time that I ever like really drank, like drank without my parents knowing, and it was at my thirteenth birthday party. And my parents threw me a surprise party and they left all of us alone in the basement. And we had a bar in our basement. And I remember getting in to the vodka and not just drinking a little bit. I mean, I was hammered mm. because that's what I did. I've never had one glass of anything <laughs> alcoholic in my life 
ever. I've never had that sip and savor gene. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand these people who can like have like this beautiful glass of wine and they're smelling. I can't get it down my throat fast enough. Right. And it's just the way that I'm wired. And whereas my sister, who's three years older than me, can enjoy a glass of wine, never has abused alcohol, never has abused drugs. And I'm just like, you know, what kind of lottery is, is this, God, right? And But I can remember growing up, like, always feeling, my parents wound up getting divorced when I was 13. We never had any real relationship with God. We went to church now and again. Uh, but I never really knew him. Um, I knew of him. So, you know, going into high school, I was the bad kid. I was always out partying. I was smoking pot. I was sleeping with boys. I was doing everything I wasn't supposed to be doing. And so my parents were like, I've got the answer. Let's put her in Catholic school. Mm. Well, that's a horrible idea, okay? <laughs> because Catholic school is worse than public school. So, you know. <laughs> I, I, I got to say, I, I agree with you because I knew some of the biggest drug dealers went to Totino Grace, which is a school <laughs> here in Minnesota. That, you know, but yeah. the parents were all pastors and and stuff and deacons. And they thought that they, you know, they were rich families. And, yep. Yeah. It doesn't discriminate by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm still doing my thing. I'm still drinking. I'm still partying. And now I really don't have any parental supervision. My parents got divorced. My dad's an alcoholic. My mom moves away. And so my dad's doing the best that he can. He's throwing me money every day just to kind of keep me busy. I'm spending the money on drugs and alcohol. And my sister was already out of the house by then. So from about 15 to 17, I was really raising myself. And finally, I decided that school was getting in the way. I was dating this guy that was in a band. I wanted to be able to follow him around in this band. So I quit high school and just followed this guy around in a band, drinking and doing drugs and all the things that come along with being in a band. Um, and my life was just a complete and utter train wreck, but I didn't think so. I was having a really good time. Um, and it's a good time until it isn't right Right. so all of this is going on I wind up moving I lived in a small town in upstate New York and then I wound up moving to Syracuse New York bigger town you know bigger bigger bars bigger drugs and so now I'm starting to to experiment with cocaine I've experimented with LSD experimenting with all of these things remember back when people used to do LSD like And so, you know, I'm out doing all of these things, thinking I'm all grown up because I'm living on my own. And I was a full blown alcoholic, no questions asked by the time I was 17, 18 years old, full blown alcoholic, um, drinking every single day, going out six nights a week. Um, I can remember standing at the top of this guy's stairs at his house and having drank so much that I passed out standing up and woke up mid-tumble down the stairs. So that was fun, waking up mid-tumble down the stairs and crawling back up the stairs, bloody and battered and whatever, and waking up the next day and not thinking that there was anything wrong. Yeah, no. (laughs) You know, I would lose my car and not think there was anything wrong. I can remember I pulled into the garage, and by into the garage, I mean into the garage, like smashed the whole side of the garage, and didn't think 
that there was anything wrong. And it, it, it blows your mind right when you look back at the madness. Yeah. And you rationalize all this madness and you would think it would have stopped at some point, right? You're going to go, wow, my life is a mess. But it didn't. I just moved to Atlanta and made bigger messes of my life. Yeah. Um, I can remember being in Atlanta and this guy, and I had never really done a lot of cocaine at, at that point. This guy gave me this bag of cocaine and I took it into the bathroom and I came back out and he's like, where's the rest of it? And I was like, the rest of what? And he's like, the rest of the cocaine. And I was like, was I supposed to leave some? And like, and then the next thing I realized is, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like I just snorted a whole bag of cocaine and like, and I'm sweating and I'm thinking I'm going to die until six hours later, I'm ready to party and, and keep going. Yeah. And this was the theme yeah. of my life was just party, 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 harder and harder. And there were never any major, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the word I'm looking the for? Consequences. Thank you. There were never any major, <laughs> there were never any major consequences until I was leaving this club one night in Atlanta and I was all dressed up and I'm driving pulled over and I get a DUI and I think that I can bribe the cop out of giving me this DUI. Like I'm making up these fantastical stories that are just ridiculous. And finally the guy just turns around, and looks at me, and goes, do you want me to slap a bribery charge on top of that? And I was like, no, mm -mm, no. Waking up in jail, um, in this sparkly little silver dress that was no bigger than a postage stamp, you know, waking up thinking I don't belong here. Um, but I fully did belong there. I could have killed people six nights a week. I could have killed people. And I had, no remorse and know anything. And I wound up knowing somebody who knew somebody who got me on probation um, instead of actually doing any jail time or having to serve any, any public service. I had nothing. I got nothing. Um, wound up moving to Orlando. In Orlando, I moved in to an apartment building where two doors down was a drug dealer. Um, so that really wasn't good for me, obviously. <laughs> so then I'm doing drugs every single night. And again, total train wreck. I get up because you're thinking, you're sick thinking. I was dating another guy that lived in the apartment complex. And instead of being a normal person and just breaking up with him, my mind says, pack your things in the middle of the night, rent a U-Haul and leave and go to Miami instead. Because this is where that sick, constant, no consequences. You can't not ever really feeling like you owe anybody anything but yourself. Right. Um, so I wind up taking off in the middle of the night, moving down to Miami, more drugs, more parties, completely out of control. And I meet this guy while I'm there and meet this guy. We're dating a few months. We break up and I find out that I'm pregnant. And I was not having this baby. And this part doesn't have anything to do with addiction, but I'm going to share it because the Holy Spirit's telling me to share it, so I'm going to share yeah. it. Um, I'm not having this baby. I have no desire to have any children because my life is about me. And I think that I'm so fabulous and my life is so put together 
that I can't be bothered with trying to be a mom because this is going to get in the way of the next big party. Um, I go to the abortion clinic with one of my friends. And when I walk in, I'm sitting down and all of a sudden they call my name to go back and take your blood and do all this other stuff. And the minute I go to walk over the, the threshold into the back room where the abortion clinic is, I instantly knew my joy still. No, I don't know God at this point. I know nothing about God, no church, no anything. And I'm walking over this threshold and I immediately felt like I had stepped into the twilight zone would be the only way I could describe it. And I look to my right and there's this woman getting off of the table and there is blood everywhere. And it looks like a literal altar, like you would see in a movie. And I look to my left and there is a man sitting there and I'm sure in the natural world, this was some regular doctor with a receding hairline and a lab coat, but that's not what I saw. Mm. I saw staring at me what I can only believe was an actual demon. And he was laughing and smiling at me. And I can tell you the color of his teeth. I can tell you the color of his hair. I can tell you the color of his skin. And all of a sudden I knew that I had a decision to make. And I knew that if I kept going forward that I could never go back. And so I turned around and I ran out of there and I just started yelling at all these other women. Like, it's not supposed to be like this. Like you've got to get out of here. And you would think that would be enough to make you see Jesus. Right. But seeing demons should be enough to make you see Jesus. But that wasn't enough. So I wind up, moving back to Atlanta, go through my whole pregnancy by myself, no drinking, no drugs. And this is where it gets interesting. For the next 10 years, I wind up marrying the man that I I got pregnant by. And for the next 10 years, I don't drink and I don't do drugs. For 10 years and four kids later, I don't drink and I don't do drugs. You want to know why? Because I'm cured. Yeah. I'm cured. I don't have a problem anymore. Do you think it was the sense of motherly responsibility that, 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 uh, mother's nature, that mother's instincts that I think that's part of it. But I also think that the demons have had many, many, many years to study us. And I believe that they've been assigned to destroy us. Mm -hmm. So I believe that they are very patient. And I believe that that thing watched and waited and was just waiting for the opportunity to strike. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as I went through my divorce, when I say like that, that addiction picked up exactly where it had left off right. 10 years before. And I can remember like, and it started with, I'm just gonna go out on the weekends. And then it was, I'm just gonna go out on the weeks that I don't have my kids. <laughs> then I'm just gonna have a glass or two at night when I have the kids. Yeah. So and by, I can do it every day. Yeah. It's yeah. By the end like of it, every I was time. drinking seven, or by the end of it, I was drinking two bottles of wine every single night to the point where my liver hurt. And if there was anything else in the house, I would drink that too. Yeah. And popping Adderall, and I would ration out my alcohol calories so that I could balance them with my food intake mm. so that I could stay thin and you know you're a devoted drinker when you're doing your calorie counting and that's like part of your daily diet that's that, like that was my food intake <laughs> that was my fruit and vegetable right so put it in your diet <laughs> yep. 
I mean, I can remember, I would go days and not eat as long as I just, you know, right. had the alcohol to drink and I had the Adderall to fuel the addiction and mm. still no Jesus, no anything. My life is completely spinning out of control. I'm now at that point, I was 38 years old. Um, and I literally was just out of my mind. Like I'm now back out hanging out in bars with 24 year old kids thinking that I'm still cool. I'm, you know, just doing ridiculous amounts of drugs that like, but still somehow reconciling in my mind that I'm a good mom. Um, just have a revolving door of train wreck relationships. Um, and I can't even call them train wreck men because I was a, a train wreck. So it was a, a emerging train wreck. The, you know, the common denominator in all my failed relationships was that I was in them. Amen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, that's so good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And so then I don't, I, 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 I like it that I can recognize it, know it, and I can speak it without feeling shame today. Yeah. But I mean, and I guess I, don't, I have no regrets, but yeah, I didn't like it. It was not, and, and it sucks like you talking about the rationalizing and, and it, you know, we, I was so snowballed by my own bullshit that I, there's no way I could see it. You know what I mean? Like I, did, I wasn't yeah. aware of any of this stuff. It isn't until, you know, hindsight uh, and, you know, was 20 years in some cases of this shit later that I'm in recovery. And now I'm like coming to these realizations about stuff. That I yeah. had no clue, man. I was blind. Everybody else or something else was the problem. You know what I mean? Well, and it's funny because my daughter finally said to me, my oldest daughter who was following Jesus and I wasn't, and here's my oldest daughter who's following Jesus and here's her train wreck mom, and she's having to wash my makeup off every night and take my, my boots off every night and take my coat off every night. And, and I'll never forget one of my children losing their, their tooth. And she kept saying, Mom, you can't forget to be the tooth fairy. You can't forget to be the tooth fairy. Wow. And lo and behold, forgot. I forgot to be the tooth fairy. That sucks. Oh, it, it's one of those stories, you know, there's a couple of those things that just, oh, you know, it's hard to forgive yourself. Yeah. For Somebody might say, that's not that big a deal. I did this to my kid. I did that to my kid. But I prided myself on still being a good mom. Right. And God was like, I'm not going to let you believe for another minute. Yeah. And that's one of them that it doesn't matter what other people think that it may sound like a small thing. Um, what matters is the way that you reacted to it. Like, I'll share a story with you quick that was really, to this day, it's just for some reason, this really vivid memory that I carry with me that breaks my heart still, you know, it gives me goosebumps and it makes me feel sick to my stomach, you know, but I, when my son was two years old, I was selling meth for the cartel, just broke up with this stripper chick that I was dating. I was deeply in love with and I'm all by myself. I shut the phone off and I'm like, I'm going to go into outer space when I put my son to bed, you know, and I shot up way too much. And I was in a hallucination psychosis, like all night, um, come morning time, must've been nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. My son comes upstairs in his diaper and I was too zoned out into peeking out the blinds 
and I was walking from window to window and I'm just looking outside and I'm tripping. And then I, my son scared the crap out of me. And, you know, I, I can't even imagine what I was like with the whole, just the, my body movements and stuff. But dude, I, I was like, you know, sitting there and I was having a hard time snapping out of it. You know, I was trying to, um, like I, I brought him some cereal. I turned on some cartoons, but I was still like stuck in window land. Right. And I'll never forget it though. He two years old in his diaper probably needs changed or no, I think maybe I changed him, but he's standing there mimicking what I was doing mm. to the T like better than a Hollywood actor acting like, like he's high on that shit. And that stuck with me. The image of my two-year-old pure image of innocence, you know, mm-hmm. has no clue what he's doing. Right. I'm just doing what he sees. This is almost making me want to cry. And I, yeah. I, I should, I was in very deep shame about that for a long time. It's just one of the many things that I carried with me. And you know, that sad thing about that kind of stuff is those become our eternal excuse to use. You know? Yep. Yep. Exactly. You have an excuse then, you know, like, Oh, cause I'm a piece of shit. It's all over B. So here we go again. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is during all this madness in that seven years after my divorce, you know, I was seeking anything to make me feel better. So whether it was failed relationship after failed relationship, my career skyrocketed because I was chasing after everything and anything to fill this endless void in my life. And so like I became super successful at work all while being a raging alcoholic. So again, no what was your job? Um, well, I'm the national sales director for a cosmetic company. Okay. So I was, and so all my stepping stones to get me to where I am now is yeah. what I was walking through then and highly functioning. My father was always a highly functioning alcoholic. I was a highly, highly functioning um, but I'm highly functioning from 8 a.m. because I would quit every morning at 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. And then I would start all over again. So I could, I will outwork you between 8 to 3 because I had, I had to fill my life up with titles, with right. stuff, with a house, with a car, with the this or with that, you know, the clothes, the handbags and all this stuff. And I was so void, like so emotionally bankrupt. And every day I just, I wanted to die. And so I'm trying all this new age stuff and I'm into tarot cards and I'm into Buddha and I'm into Feng Shui and I'm vegan this week and I'm pescatarian next week. And I'm like, and and literally it consumed my life. Like I was going to psychics every other week because I just wanted somebody to tell me that I was going to be okay. All I wanted someone to tell me you're going to be okay. And so after my daughter gave me the reality check one day, when I tried to put my kids into the car, when I was completely hammered and I said, we're going to go to Dick's sporting goods. And I couldn't even get myself to, to the driveway. Um, And my daughter grabbed the keys out of my hand and I slapped her across the face. Mm. And I don't, and I don't hit my kids. So that was like, and I remember going in, laying down on the couch, waking up and saying, okay, I need, I need to quit drinking. So I decided I'm going to quit drinking and I make the great decision to jump into Facebook recovery land. <laughs> and this was 
I'm sure you remember this. You've got to. The age where everybody was going to be a Facebook rock star, right? Like everybody had the, a sober page. Everybody had this. Everybody had that. Everybody was going to be a rock star. Everybody was hating on everybody else and loving everybody else and going to this rally and that rally and all the different rallies. And I meet this Facebook recovery rock star guy and I decide he and I are going to be the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie of Facebook recovery. <laughs> and it was so ridiculous. That's awesome. I, it was so ridiculous. And I made him my higher power, right? Oh. So like, this guy's my higher power and his law, and we're going all over and we're speaking to things and we're doing stuff and everybody knows who he is. So everybody knows who I am. So I'm validated. So now I'm sober because I'm with him and I'm validated, yeah. right? Well, the problem is, is when your higher power can break up with you and he does break up with you, you in trouble. Hey, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, but you know what happens when you put somebody on a pedestal, don't you? What's that? They piss all over you. Yeah. 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 Well, and I can't really say I blame them because the train wreck, even though I was sober, was still going off mm -hmm. up and up in here. Yeah. And so he breaks up with me. And I decide that I'm going to throw away my seven months of sobriety that I had at that time. Makes and sense. I go, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Yep, so yep. I go on a 10 day bender and I decide that I'm done. Like just breathing is difficult. Just, just being alive is difficult. Just the sun hurt my eyes. Like everything hurt, like thinking hurt, my brain hurt, being a bad, the realization that i was a really crappy mom hurt. And so I literally just started buying plane tickets and I just went from state to state to city to city. And I just started drinking my way through every single one, every single one. Um, and I remember waking up in new Orleans in a frat house. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good. Classy, classy. She was waking up in a frat house and saying, I'm done. Uh, not drinking. I'm just done living like this just isn't worth it anymore. And so I got on a plane to fly home and the girl that I was there with threw me this bottle of um, anxiety pills when I was leaving to go to the airport. And when I got home, I went through the drive through liquor store that knew me so well. And I got two boxes of wine because I was going out classy. If I'm going out, I'm going out with boxes. Touch and it's real classy. And I think there's like two and a half bottles in one box. Um, <laughs> and I drank one whole box. And then I had this bottle of pills in my hand and, and I was staring at it. And I opened up the other box and I was getting ready to drink it. And all of a sudden I realized that I didn't want to be the mom who left their kids behind where everybody was whispering that, oh, their mom committed suicide. So I started screaming at this God that I didn't know. And I started screaming, if you are as merciful as everybody says that you are, and I'm pretty sure there were some expletives in there. Yeah. That I need you That's to That's the way me. God likes it, in my opinion, you know. It wants real. That's yeah. it. That's all it requires is real and surrender, right? And take it. If you are as merciful as everybody says that you are, I need you to kill me right now. And to this day, I cannot explain what happened next adequately but the voice not in my head voice of god the outside of my body voice and it wasn't this kind lamb of god voice it was this booming get up 
And I was the only one home. And I couldn't get up. I'd been on a 10-day bender. So I crawled over to this chair in the corner of my room. And then the voice moved inside of my head, and it said, hit play. And my daughter had sent me a sermon two weeks before that I pretended that I had listened to. And I hit play. And he said, let me tell you who you are. Now you're going to make me cry. Um, For the next 12 hours, I let God tell me who I am. And I fell asleep on my bathroom floor. Any addict or alcoholic knows that position well. It's so cold is comforting. (laughs) I woke up (laughs) on my bathroom floor and listened for 12 more hours. And I have never wanted a drink again. So and that you was, kept listening to that same sermon over and over and over. No, it was a different one. I just kept hitting play on the next one. Because you know on YouTube how like... You oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So this, the next one came up and I would hit play on that one. And I would yeah. hit play on that one. And then I walked into a church and I just was like, I'm here. And everything, everything changed. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Like... He changed the way that I dress. He changed the way that I talk. He changed the way that I carry myself. He changed the way that I mother. He changed the way that I work. He changed the fact that I can't lie. He changed the fact, everything. I, walk in, I walked in purity up until the time that I was married. Now I'm getting a divorce, grace and mercy. But like all of these things, he changed everything. Oh, yeah. It will, too. And I'm not perfect by any stretch. I fail him daily but he is perfect Amen. and that's I all understand. i mean. like when i the last time i got or stuck a needle in my arm i was uh i was still kind of on a on and off again with that same girl that from the story before this was uh probably not really that long maybe a few months after that other story had took place i was uh 16 hours straight, the worst meth-induced psychosis I ever went through in my life that day. Uh, I was tripping so hard. And then it started off where I thought that there was people from work outside and they were pissed off at me because I'm a dick at, at work and I run it. <laughs> then, and then it was that it was like friends of mine I thought were outside. Um, and mind you, every time, all day, the whole, through it all, I'm like hearing audibly like the whole conversations. I'm t- like arguing with these people. Um, but I have my phone shut off and all in like blanket over my window. And I'm sitting on my bed with like a pistol and a crossbow, a crossbow and like a big ass knife and all my drugs. And I'm like ready for war, expecting war to come down upon me in my house. And, and then I was looking around everywhere and, and so, yeah, it just kept changing, you know, like what I was tripping thinking was out there. But at the very end, it was my ex-wife, this, who I thought was out there, my ex-wife and her fiance with my son, who I hadn't seen in a few months at this time, um, which ended up being about a year before I ever got to see him um, when it was all said and done and start to reconcile and, you know, reunite with him. But I, they were like telling me to, you know, come to the window (laughs) and then, you know, they're going to like, let me see him. And then nobody would come out and I'd get angry and then I'd hear it again, you know? And it was like, come down to the garage 
open the door. So I went down to the garage and I opened the door and then it's like, don't just stand there in the garage, go to the driveway. You know, we want to see you. I'm literally hearing this shit for real. And I get up there and I'm looking around and there's nothing. And I start screaming. I got irate. And I was so pissed off and I'm like yelling at it. And then for like the next two hours, I proceeded to go through every gambit of emotion. I was, you know, explaining myself in some parts. I was defending myself in other parts. I was apologizing in other parts. I was just, it was crazy. And then I, uh, I tried to take a shower and I couldn't even basically take a shower because I was tripping so hard because it was like a glass shower, you know, like stained glass. I'm like trying to look at what's going on on the other side the whole time. And then I like, I go in my room, my living room and I'm like in my boxers and I, I grab this big Rambo knife. I have it around here still. Actually, I keep it for, for the reason I like to look at that sometimes and think like, this is almost how I went out. Man. But I had that thing to my ne- my neck on my knees and I was going to just let myself fall on it. And I was like that for like 45 minutes. I mean, to the point where my legs were cramping up and it was like pain, starting to get painful. And I, I remember making noises. I was almost like observing myself making these noises that were like horrifying, like animal dying kind of noises. And I was like, what? You know, and I, I was yelling, help me, help me. And what I meant was like, help me do this because I can't do it. Like my will is there, but I can't seem to willy, willingly like, do this so i'm like help me kill myself to something i didn't know was there right yeah i don't know why but i put down the phone and i called for help and a dude told me what to do man and he told me all sorts of stuff he made me write down a list of things to do and he was like and you're gonna do these things right now which was call your job because you're supposed to be to work in an hour and you're tripping balls on math you can't go to work and you got to tell them not only that you're not coming in but you got to tell them what you've been up to because you've been carrying too many secrets and they're fucking you I'm like, okay, did that, set up therapy, you've been talking about it for a year and a half. Okay. And I did that. And then he was like, and here's a list of things you need to do every single day. You need to call me every day. He's like, if I don't answer, you got to leave me a voicemail. You got to tell me, you know, uh, one, three things you're grateful for. One thing that you're doing for your recovery today in a voicemail, or if I answer the phone, tell me. And he's like, and then the other thing, the last thing I want you to pray every day, whether you believe it or not. You know, just say, he could even be saying, Hey God, I'm here, you know, and you don't have to believe it, but just say the words is what he said. Do it every day. And I did that. I did it for three weeks for a dude answer his phone. And when he did, he's like, you really want this. And it was because of that cry, that cry um, was the first time, you know, and then later it, it was, a, there was another time when it really, I actually was uh, led in a prayer to, you know, welcome Jesus into my heart. And the Holy spirit moved over me in such a mighty way that day. I cried for like two hours and I couldn't believe it. You know, like I was listening to the sermon talking about parenting. I have no doubt in my mind that that was made for me that day. Like it was for me. It hit me in places that I had never, you know, would touch. And I had such like huge walls built around those parts of myself because I would lose it. You know, I would go crazy if I touched those areas, you know, and it was like Adrian cracked right open into that and I lost it and I cried and I prayed 
and I was listening to this song, Oh, Come to the Altar. Oh, one of my favorites. Oh, it's one of the God. first songs I ever listened to. Oh, my God. It, I believed every word of that. And I'm, I got bumps everywhere. I, I was like on my knees at the stairs, at the stage. And I've never seen them do an altar call at that church either now that I think about it, like ever. And I've been going there for like three years now. But, man, it was like flooded into me. It yeah. flooded into me. And I looked at my friend Jim and I said, what is wrong with me like an hour after the service? Because I was still like not only crying, but like <sighs> like quivering, <laughs> you know. And he was like, puts his hand on my shoulder. That's the Holy Spirit, brother. And I was like, I don't know why, but I believe you. I've never... Yeah. expected it i never expected it i mean i truly believe that you know working the 12 steps and and, and being a taking a chance on people uh allowed yeah. me to find a sense of spirituality through accountability and honesty and willingness right but then i find christ and then once i start to study the bible and i learn about it it was like okay now i'm realizing that god works in our lives through other people so it yep. all came full circle. Like it was all God. And I didn't know that, but you don't need to know that, right? You just have to be willing to like let people guide you and actually allow people who speak life into you, who, who challenge you, who call you out to yeah. stay around you, you know, like, cause I don't know about you, but I pushed those people away, you know? So that. I didn't, I never, your, your story brought that me. to mind, you know, with your, yeah, I, don't, I never kept anyone around me who would tell me what to do or hold me accountable. I only kept people around me who were willing to party with me. Um, yeah. So now that like I'm surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ and like, if I, it's so different when you have Jesus, because I know that it's all about my surrender. Every day is about my surrender and it's not about my strength. It's about his strength. And it's about like, I know when I'm walking in my own will now, I know when I'm about to fall into a pit and I need Jesus to reach down and, and pick me up and, and dust me off. And like I said at the beginning, I fail him every day, but he doesn't see me as a failure. And you know, one thing I just pray, I pray, I pray if somebody is listening to this, who has been church hurt or, grew up in a super religious family that, that told you that Jesus is someone that he's not. Your relationship with Jesus has nothing to do with religion. He desperately wants a relationship. That's it. And like, it's so different than, than the school that I went to. It's so different than the few churches that I had gone to. Like now I get into the Bible and I'm like, this is insane. How did I never know this was in here? Oh, like, yeah. I, I want people just, for our atheist friends, if they have even an inkling, just, just the slightest mustard seed size of faith that maybe, just maybe, there's something to this Jesus thing, mm -hmm. just ask him to show you who he is. Right. Or I always tell people too, you know, it's like everybody knows somebody who's found, who's got a story like ours, you know, and they probably heard it before, but they let their predisposed notions or beliefs uh, get in the way of really like accepting the story as a hundred percent fact, you know, maybe try listening to it again with a curiosity instead of 
you know, I'm going to listen for the parts that I don't agree with and just accept it as fact because that's their reality. Uh, it might help you out, you know, or ask them to help you know, you know, how do I know God? And they can like lead you in a prayer, or, you know, they can tell you and tell you how, because the fact is, is like, you know, I think a lot of people that are like, I don't know how, I don't know, God, I don't know what to do, but you don't need to know. It's just like recovery. You don't got to know. All you got to do is know that you don't know and ask somebody to help you and then do what they tell you to do. That's and right. Works. And it works. Same That's thing. Right. Same thing with God. man. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the fact that I got thirsty for connection, right, I never would have uh, decided to go to church that day because I was like sick of sitting at the at the room at treatment. I was in extended care and we lived in an apartment building and everybody was on pass on Sundays, but every bridge I burned was still in ashes and I didn't have anybody coming to visit me or calling me or sending me money or any of that, you know? So I was like lonely, man. And I kept seeing these dudes from NA pull up in this red van every Sunday. One week I went out there when they were dropping the dudes back off and I smoked a cigarette with them and I was like, can I come with you guys next week? I didn't want to go for God. I just wanted to go be with my friends from NA. Drink right. Some and eat some donuts, man. And if that's the only reason somebody on here shows up at church or connects with somebody who knows Jesus, yeah. go for the donuts because Jesus will run you down. I mean, I can remember going to these meetings and sitting around and being like, dude, this is no different than being in a club. This one's sleeping with that one. That one's sleeping with that one. That one broke up with that one. That one's over outside meet their drug dealer right now. Like, how is this different than being in the club? And the only thing that changed, and I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying don't go to meetings. I'm saying don't go to meetings without Jesus. Like, you know, like. Or like Jesus, we say, we say stick with the winners because there's lots of sick people in this program. Even the winners are sick but at least yeah. they're aware of it and they've learned tools to deal with it better, you know, and they're trying to be better than they were yesterday. Find those people. Yeah. And we're not any better. We're not, and we don't think that we're better. I don't think that I'm any better. All I know is I know the one who is better and I know the one who made me better. And I know the one who promised me hope in a future. And I know the one who, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I know that today I don't deal with sick thinking. And today I don't crave drugs and alcohol. And today I am free. Like I am truly free. And that doesn't mean that every day is sunshine and roses. Listen, people think we are nuts. Like people think we are out of our mind crazy for <laughs> believing in Jesus. And anybody who knows me, I am a complete and total Jesus freak. I talk about Jesus 24 hours a day seven days a week, 365 days a year. You have a problem. I got an answer. His name is Jesus. And like, people <laughs> think it. I'm nice, right? But <laughs> so this is isn't awesome. some easy breezy walk. Walking with Jesus is the hardest and most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Yep. That we were just doing a study the other week. Um, and this dude in my group, he said this thing that just stuck with me, man. He said, you know, God uses our pain and suffering much like a surgeon uses a scalpel to, uh, to repair and refine and revitalize our lives and, and, you know, to cure us of our ailments, but it's a process, you know, like 
sanctification is like a process, but I was just like the thought of God, like with a scalpel in his hand and like a surgical mask on and doing his work on me, man. Like great position. Cause I'm honestly like, I'm a deep into it too. Maybe not as deep as you, but pretty deep into my study of the word and, and into my community uh, of believers around me. Cause I really truly believe that without that, you know, I, I won't have as deep of an understanding. It won't stick as well. Like I think, you know, you read it, you write it, you talk about it, better chances you're going to retain it. So I work on that and man, I just need that. I, I need them because it's like, they remind me that it's okay to be the way I am, you know, like I'm perfect the way I am because I, you know, it's weird. You know, the gospel clearly states that you're not uh, saved based on your works. You're saved Amen to that. Of, you know, but yet I still can like sometimes feel like I'm a bad person because dude, I have a filthy mouth. I am a pervert. <laughs> like I got these things going on in my head and, you know, in my heart still, but it's like, you know, I'm still really a babe in Christ and, and you just it. surrender it every day. And it's, it's can take every thought. Like when the Lord says, take every thought captive. The reason he says that is he knows, he knows how we are. He made us human. So he's not angry at our humanness. He's not angry at us at all. And what, what the enemy it tries to do is an enemy tries to keep us in shame, right? So the problem, the enemy doesn't care if you sin. The enemy wants to keep you in shame because shame is what will send you out to sin again. It's the same as going out to drink, right? You go out to drink. And what's the game to keep you out there drinking? So it's the exact same thing with sin, right? So that's the sin trap is we sin, but then if we stay in shame, then we stay in the sin. Then we don't tell anybody. Then we don't confess it. It's the same thing with the drinking and the drug game. I'm just going to stay in my house. I'm going to drink. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to stay in my house. I'm going to do a couple of lines. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to stay in my house. I'm going to shoot some dope. Nobody's going to know. And it's like, and everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. <laughs> Everybody. You know, we're not hiding nothing from nobody. And that's why I try to be like super. Well, we do think we're slick, though. <laughs> totally think we're so slick. Well, there's nothing slick. <laughs> Everything gets exposed in the darkness, right? So but like, that's one of the things that I try to do on my Facebook page because I do have quite a few people who follow my ministry is that I try to be incredibly real because it benefits nobody to look at me and think she doesn't sin and she's the epitome of, of a godly woman. And she's the, and I'm like, you have no idea what a train wreck I am. Right. But my father every day says my grace and mercy is new yeah. every day. Yep. And that's the thing, you know, cause we're going to make mistakes. But when I do, I'm like, Oh, I should know better. Yeah. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. Exactly. Again, I mean, were you convicted after? Because that's a good sign if you're convicted that after. Exactly. Because yeah. if, if if you were lost in your sin, you wouldn't feel the conviction, right? Right. No. And so, like, every day I say, today is the day, no matter what, I'm going to clean up this mouth. No matter what, I'm not going to curse today. Within oh, wow. three seconds, I'll stub my trough, drop a jar of pickles on it, or the dog will escape. And the next thing you know, the F-bombs are coming flying out of my mouth and I'll come back in and I'm like, Father, you know, and it's just, it's like my grace is sufficient. You're not going to get out of this unscathed. Yeah. And like in recovery too, they say, you know, it's not, it's like a lifetime of thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes wrapped up 
around your use. And that's why earlier when you were like, you know, this doesn't really pertain to addiction, but I'm going to say it anyway. I was almost going to interject and be like, dude, this is like what, this is about our life, man. Like, you know, it just like recovery or finding Christ bleeds into every aspect of your life. The areas improve that you didn't even know needed improvement. The same thing with addiction, you know, stuff deteriorates and falls apart and you, you are in denial about it all or, or you make yourself feel better because it's something or someone else's fault or whatever the case is, but it doesn't really become like full on, like, you know, obvious to you until you're so freaking deep in that. It's just all to shit, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, and even, even in my career that just, you just for maybe think of something, you know, I was like, there weren't any consequences in my career. Although I can remember towards the end of my run, when I really had no control over anything at all anymore. I can remember being in LA at a big party. We threw this huge party for these makeup influencers and I got so trash. I lost my purse. I lost my phone. I left the party. Nobody knew where I went. I woke up the next day, you know, when you start rehearsing how you're going to come up with like your story, but you can't even remember what happened. So you're trying to figure out how to craft a story around the lie that everybody was there witnessed. Right. And it always oh, such a train wreck. And so like the Lord You wouldn't hit people up and be like, Hey They were my employees. So what I was gonna hey, this last is your night? boss. Like I know I was super drunk and I couldn't find my phone and I know yeah, I but like some people maybe you were closer to or something. You could be like, <laughs> you know, I mean me and her when I I was way too humiliated. But like and I rem- <laughs> and I was just like, Thank God, because my career wouldn't have would not have survived too many of those because that would that did not end well with my boss. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. There's a line right in the sand, and this is your professional life. You know, yeah, have a couple cocktails, mix it up with the clients, whatever you do, you know, butter them up, but don't lose control of yourself. <laughs> you know. I don't know how to follow that. I don't color inside the lines. (laughs) It's so funny too, right? Because like I still work for the same company and they all know that I don't drink. They all know that I follow Jesus. They all know like, like my, they know my story, but they don't know my story. You know what I mean? You should only share so much of your personal life. And still to this day, we'll be at company functions and they'll be like, Heidi, come on, you're a dirty martini girl. And I'm like, unless everybody here wants to wake up in Vegas and not know their name and wonder where their teeth went, Heidi is not drinking okay because this story <laughs> will get out of control really fast yeah but it's so funny like they're my my sobriety still makes people uncomfortable three <laughs> say, years later i say something similar to people i'll be like hey i know that if i smoke some weed then i'm gonna get thirsty and then once i have a couple drinks like a big pile of rocks and a bag of needles sounds really good to me it's just where i what happens with me? I'm like, that'll be day one. And then they're like, right. but I, you know, I kind of say it in a joking way and you get them laughing, but yeah, same thing. They're always kind of like, really dude. And I'm like, yeah, really. And that's why I don't play like that. no more. Yep. Exactly. Cause like it's death for us. It's death. Like, and we have to understand that that same demon that was so patient that waited 10 years, he's standing right outside my door right now. Mm-hmm. he's waiting for me to have a bad day right now. He's waiting for me to make a bad decision right now. And every single day I cast that thing to the foot of the throne of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, you came for the wrong one again today. Yep. Yep. You know, it's like, rebuke it. 
Amen. My, my, my Bible study group, when I first started there, I was listening to this guy share about, cause he's a truck driver and he was like, you know, he's like, sometimes I, he's like, I rarely get road rage anymore. I used to get it all the time, you know? And he was like, I now can catch myself sometimes. And he's like, I will rebuke it. And I will say these thoughts, th- these words come out of my mouth. This is not of, G- this is not of God. This is not of Jesus. And he, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And he said, anger's gone. Like, and I was like looking at him like, yeah, right. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, but I tried it. I tried it at work and it got muzzle it, bind it, cast it to the foot of the throat of Jesus Christ. I muzzle that thing too. I muzzle those demons first because they love to chat. You know, they're always chattering in your ear. You should feel shame about that. Maybe you should go and do this. Maybe you should go and do that. So I always muzzle that thing first. I'm like, just shut up. Yeah. It's so weird though. Like, I don't know. I tried it and it did work. no. At work, I, I had to go to the bathroom and just like took like 10 minutes and chilled out and was like, man, you know, asking him to kind of like just take take my attitude and like change it to a good one or whatever. And, yeah. and, and I was like, I went back the next week and I was like, I tried that thing you were talking about, you know, and it worked. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, dude, <laughs> that was crazy. That's, and that's what's so important too. And especially for those of us who are in recovery that do follow the Lord is we have to know our authority in Jesus Christ. And we need to stand in that authority given to us by Jesus because he didn't die on that cross. So we can all walk around here and flail around until we go, you know, to the kingdom of God. He gave us authority over powers, principalities, and darkness. And that's why when we see brothers and sisters drowning in alcohol, drowning in addiction, we know that thing's a demon. You can call it genealogy. You can call it a choice. You can call it whatever you want. That thing's a friggin' demon is what it is. And we have the power if, when they're feeling powerless to go up there and to speak to that thing and to give them hope and to tell them God's got a plan for your life. And, and don't sit here and wallow in this misery. This isn't why you were created. You weren't created to be an addict. You weren't created to be an alcoholic. I'll tell you what. I, actually, that's not true. I believe with everything in me that addicts and alcoholics, you can call it what you want, but we were always created to be addicted to something. But the enemy just got to us first. See, I'm addicted to Jesus Christ. I chase after Jesus Christ harder than any drug, ever, any man, right. any scale, any whatever that I ever chase after in my whole life. I was always meant to be addicted to Jesus, but the enemy came in and just intercepted me. Right. And now he's out of the way. And now I'm a runner. I always say addiction's a good quality, you know? Like, to be that keyed in, to have that kind of, like, hustle mentality, uh, that kind of work ethic that it takes to keep on making sure you have your next fix or that you can keep your lies, you know, hidden and uh, keep your, your all your side flings and, and this and that and the other thing going on without any, you know, bumps in the road is, like, a lot of work and it's 24 hours, seven day a week job. You know, now in recovery, we can take that and we can apply that same energy into positive things. You know, I know a lot of people that have gone back to school and they have 4.0 grade point averages, every single one of them. I swear to God, like tens of people. Cause we're committed. 4.0, 4.0. Do you think that's a secret? Like, 
No. Do you think it's a surprise? Well, it shouldn't be because they're addicts. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I love the way that the guy that you were saying that when you first wanted to get clean and he called and you called him every day and he didn't pick up. I love that because one of the things I always say to moms and, and husbands and wives who reach out to me and say, you know, what should I do? And can you call this number? And can you reach out to this place? And can you do that? I'm like, nope. They're like, well, why not? And I'm like, do you understand that if the dope man was 60 miles away in a basement with no address, your sister, husband, brother, whoever could find that guy in 15 minutes. If he's the only dope man in town, they're going to find him. But they can't pick up the phone and call the treatment center. Then they right. don't want. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, yeah, we got to stop doing all the work. It's not hard to find resources. It's not. No, at all. Yeah. I think, you know, if people reach out to me, I'll give them resources, you know. Oh, absolutely. I'll give them the resources. And but tell I them always tell them, you need to do this, man. Like, I can't hold your hand. I can't bring you to every meeting. I said yeah. the same shit to my little brother, to my best friend, who, thank God, are both, you know, in recovery today. Um, my brother's actually coming up on a year pretty soon. Amen. I know. I called into work that day, you know, and I was like crazy. Uh, that's his story to tell, though. But, man, I... And I hope to get him to tell that shit too one day. I'm like, you got to get up on this microphone, son. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's awesome when you can actually see that, you know, the seed grow in people because I lay a lot of seeds around, you know what I'm saying? When it comes to um, extending the hand and, and letting Amen. people know that they there's help out here. But so often it's like, they either try to take advantage of your kindness. They mistake your kindness for weakness and they think they're going to take advantage of you. Then they realize that I ain't no spring chicken and I'm seeing right through their bullshit. And yeah. I call them on said bullshit and I tell them when you're ready and you really want uh, help, like real help, I'm here, you know? And who knows? Maybe I'll hear from them. Maybe I'll hear about their uh, obituary. But yeah, probably not. It's life. I was stepping over dead bodies in this program, man, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it is reality. And I can, I can have hope and peace, you know, and it is anchored in Jesus and it's anchored in this community around me of people that I'm seeing, you know, recovery restored my faith in humanity, man. I had none. I didn't have faith in myself, let alone humanity, you know? Right. Yeah. Some people Amen. are good people still. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of great people. Some of my favorite people in the world are people that are in that are in this program and that are in recovery. And they've seen, man, like there's lots of parts of this story I haven't told. I mean, maybe someday I will. Lots of hurt, lots of pain, lots of really bad decisions. You know, and it's like people have to understand, like the we've all been out there. There, mm -hmm. it, it's a war. It's a war for our soul. Yeah. It's a literal war for our soul. And that if the one thing that I can impress upon them is I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've slept with. I don't care what you've shot up. I don't care. I don't care if you've shot somebody. Listen, Paul was murderer. I don't care. Jesus Christ can redeem you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a big list of uh, sinners and 
outcasts that did all sorts of different outlandish things. Uh, yeah, I, I used to, I think I posted it on my Facebook some time ago, like an actual picture with every, every one of the like chief sinners out of the Bible that, you know, and it's like, damn, you know, and it really does illustrate that fact that it does. Look at matter. the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He's got prostitutes in his genealogy. Yep. He's got murderers in his genealogy. He's got adulterers in his genealogy. Like, because that's who we are. Oh, yeah. It's but our we nature. are the ones that he loves. Yeah. And I think, like, we're chosen. We're, we're actually, <clears throat> like, I remember when that point happened, it was like a tipping point for me. And maybe you experienced this as well, as well where all of a sudden, and this was, I think, how God took the shame away for the things that I couldn't seem to let go of before I found Christ. Uh, but at some point it was like all of my <clears throat> deepest hurts and hangups. Uh, I became suddenly grateful for them because simply because I could share them with other people and it would help them, you know, Amen. it would give them hope. And I was like, now these things that I once was so ashamed of or whatever, it's like, I, I value them. Like yeah. they're gifts and they're, and they're gifts that I can use, choose to use and take out every once in a while. And like I'm out in front of another person. Um, and by the grace of God, I can do it today without losing it, you know, or breaking down most of the time, uh, real hard, but I still cry. Yeah, that's not here. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's beautiful. And it's weird too, though. Like, it's so paradoxical. It's like, I don't even know. I remember being completely, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, how in the hell am I so grateful for this stuff? Because I wanted to kill myself. I tried to kill myself over these same things. And now all of a sudden, I'm like, just full of gratitude and like walking on cloud nine because I have these things. Well, and I think what keeps people sometimes from Jesus is the hurt and the pain in their lives. And they can't believe that a good father would allow his children to walk through such pain. But what we have to understand is that because we have free will on this earth, that things are going to happen that he didn't create. He didn't, he didn't let your father molest you. He didn't allow you to be raped. That was the demons trying to take you out. What he does promise you is that he will take every horrible thing that has ever happened to you that was meant to destroy you, that was meant to make you drown in your addiction. He's going to take it and he's going to turn it and he's going to use it for your good and his glory. And it will become the stamp, it will become the, the, the actual stage from which you will give your testimony to the goodness of God. Right. But we have to surrender the pain. That's the very things that make you the unique individual with the specific skill set uh, and and the unique gifts that you have, and it's uh, our individuality, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I, it, in church, you know, they're always talking about at my church, where, you know, where like everybody's got different gifts. So like they have a course that's a four week course that'll help you identify what those gifts are and find a way to serve that best suits your, you know, gift set, whatever. Um, you know, some people it's cooking, some people it's, you know, coaching people or being there. Like I just went through Stephen ministry training and I get to like 
pray, pray with people, you know, that are struggling and, and try to help them, um, get a, really my goal when I do it is like try to help them reestablish or strengthen that connection to God because <clears throat> that's, you know, I'm the caregiver. God's the caregiver. That's like the motto of Stephen ministry. And it's so true. And if you can kind of keep that in the forefront of your mind, then it takes all the pressure off. You don't got to be nervous because this isn't my job, my responsibility, anything. I'm blessed to be a conduit of God's love and put in this position where I can do that. Right. And just be that person that's willing to listen with no judgment. And then, uh, you know, pray life into people and, it's weird because if you, I just love it, man. I, it's weird. Like the more I, further I get in the journey, I realize like, it's not me. None of it is. And it, but I forget that shit sometimes. But yeah. now when I, if I can keep that mindset, it just takes all the pressure off. Cause it's, you know, or like when you're getting overwhelmed, right? It's like, why? Because we already know who wins the battle. Amen. Right. That's right. But yet we are we're out here we have to go out on the battlefield every single day but it's yeah. a fixed fight it's a Amen. fixed race but it's hard to believe that shit sometimes <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah because there's still a battle and people have to understand like this is still a race right like so when paul said we have to run this run the race we're running the race but if you're running after jesus you're guaranteed to make it home so like, yeah, we're going to stumble. Yeah, we're going to get fall, fall. Yeah, we're going to, you know, get thirsty. Yeah, we're going to, you know, be sore. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you just got to keep running the race. Well, I think you really nailed it earlier when you said that, it, you know, it's one of the most challenging yet most fulfilling things you've ever done in your life to choose to follow Christ. Like, it's not easy. Nope. Um, but, you know, what do you think is going to happen when you get changed at a fundamental level in your core of your being? It's going to be yeah. really uncomfortable, man. And that's yeah. what recovery and it's not is. Do, though. Like, that's just it. It's not about doing. And I think no, that's we're not doing it. People. We don't do it. The Holy Spirit changes you. So it's not like I go home every day and I'm like, okay, let me write out the list. Here's all the things that I need to change about myself so that I can be a good Christ follower. There's none of that. The Holy no. Spirit changes it in you yeah. and you wake up every day with a conviction to change because the Holy Spirit is changing you. It's yeah. not requiring like, I think like if I think back to before I knew Jesus and I think what scared me about these Jesus people is that I couldn't be one of them because like they were really good yep. and I was really bad. And so I didn't know how to get from point Z over here to point A and I didn't realize that the only thing that was required of me was surrender. Right. That's it. Literally. Yeah. Literally it. And people are always like, when I've been talking about this stuff, you know, sometimes I'm like, you got me going now. And then I'm telling them all this stuff we're talking about. And then I'll be, they'll be like, but yeah, I can't find it. You know, whatever. I'm like, honestly, all you have to do is ask, just invite him in. He's like a vampire. Amen. You know, you need to invite him in. But once you invite the Holy Spirit in, I'm like, be careful what you wish for, man, because now you punch the ticket and you're going to take the ride. He's going to do his exactly. work. Exactly. And they need to understand Jesus already chose them. This isn't a lottery. It's not like Jesus is going to go, no. eh, not that one. 
Jesus, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That was back in the garden. He chose us back in the garden because we didn't choose him. We chose the knowledge of good and evil. We didn't choose the tree of life. So Jesus chose us. So he's not going to reject you. Right. And don't mistake church people for Jesus. The church religious people, the Pharisees, the chapstick, I call them chapstick Pharisees because they hate makeup. But like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, please don't let religious people keep you from knowing Jesus. That would be tragic. It's true. You don't need it. You don't, you don't even need to set foot in a church, you know, just find somebody that's willing to sit down and open a Bible with you. And there you go. It's, Amen. I, I liken it to recovery, man. It, it takes two, it only takes two to make a meeting. So what they tell you in recovery, it's like it only takes two to have a Bible study. We are the church. We are the temple. We are a holy vessel. And every one of our vessels is cracked and full of nicks and all of these things. And that's how his glory pours out. I always, I always say that's how the like, his, he shines his light into you. But it seems it's, like, it it's through the cracks. Like you should be great. And that's maybe why we're grateful. Maybe that's why I was like suddenly grateful for all that stuff because i was like that's my cracks that's what let the holy spirit pour in you know when i yep. him, finally amen yeah i love it i'm grateful for that you know that i found him and, and i'm grateful that i've been able to you know do the things that i've been able to do what what kind of stuff do you do um as far as your ministry as far as like what I go to a lot, of, I travel a lot for to different places. Like I went on a mission trip to South Dakota. Um, I do a lot of different just street evangelism here, recovery um, rallies, different things that I'm asked to speak. I do a lot of my stuff online, um, a lot of Bible studies, because I find that a lot of people have church but don't understand how to read the Bible. And that was one of my biggest stumbling blocks when I first started following the Lord was I would open it up and I'd be like, I don't even know what that says. Right. Um, and so now I really do my best to break the Bible down for people so it's understandable and so that they can read it as, as it is meant to be, to be read in spirit and truth. Um, so that's a lot of what I do with my ministry. I love, 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 love serving the community. Um, any opportunity I get to be able to be out in the community, whether it's in my church, whether it's in recovery, whether it's with my friends, um, I just I like to serve people because I used to live such a selfish life where I wanted people to serve me. Um, it's my way of, of giving back for all my years of hardcore selfishness. Dude. I, I remember being like, when do I start to like, like myself? You know, I was like, when does that happen? <laughs> and, uh, my sponsor said the only, the best way to build self-esteem is through a steamable acts. And so, I mean, service is key in that. And it's, you know, that too is a process, right? It's one, one brick at a time, one act at a time. Well, wait till you, wait till it hits you that you're not supposed to tell the whole world every time you do something nice for somebody. Like, oh, I was I, like, well, then how's anybody going to know I'm a good person? I was just going to say, like, if you want it to count as two bricks <laughs> or, or more, maybe even do yeah. it when they don't know and they'll never know. And no one knows. And don't put it on Facebook and don't, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't share that. It's a fine line, right? It's your heart. Like, so, because sometimes when someone says you sees you doing something good, then it will inspire them to go out and do something good. But I always have to check my heart. Like, right. why are you talking about this? 
Like, hey, why? Do you want people to go, oh, my gosh, you're so amazing? Yeah, then it ain't going up. See, um, I think I kind of am lucky in the way because I noticed when I first got into recovery, I'd see a lot of people talking about other people behind their backs. Uh, and it was very clicky. And so, like, when people reach out to me, I'm, I mean, it's very, 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 very scarce that I'll ever mention it to another person. And if it's something that's really messing me up or, like, I'm, I'm struggling with, I might talk to my sponsor or, or a pastor or my uh, Bible study leader. But honestly, I don't uh, ever share with anyone. You know, I don't have a girlfriend right now, but, like, if I had a girlfriend or you know, even my sponsor, I don't tell people about other people's stuff. Cause it's like, that's defeats the entire purpose of what service is, right? You want to be there for somebody doesn't mean I'm going to listen to you. Tell me about your circumstances. And then I'm going to go talk shit about it later. You know? Right. Right. Well, and it's different when you have kingdom covenant too. I know that you're supposed to have that in recovery, but I was thinking about this this morning. I was like, this whole anonymous thing is kind of funny to me because I wasn't anonymous when I was falling down the stairs. I wasn't anonymous when I got arrested. I wasn't anonymous when I, you know, took off at the company Christmas party. Like everybody knew. Um, but it's, there's something about kingdom covenant that like when someone comes to you and shares something with you, like that's, and, and I always tell people and they say, can I talk to you about something and you not share it? I'm like, do you want to harm yourself? No, that's not what I want to talk about. Okay, cool. Then it's a lockbox. What's going on? Like, because right. if you're going to harm yourself, I'm going to scream it from the rooftops to save your life. Amen. But other than that, we got a kingdom covenant. So I always start with that. Like, let me give you yeah. a precursor. Just you Are you going to yourself or somebody else? No? Yeah. Okay, now we're good. It's like mandated reporters, you know, if you're working in a, any anything, mental health or chemical health, uh, it's that's mandated reporting, man. If you start saying something that indicates one of those two things, yep, I got, I, I'm legally obligated to say something to, yep. for your safety or the safety of others. Yeah. But definitely, uh, I agree with you there. So you, uh, are you like part of a fellowship? Like do you attend, are you a regular attendee or, uh, you know, I do. I, I have a church here locally, but then I also have set what I call satellite churches. So like when I'm in West Virginia, I have a church there. When I'm in Alabama, I have a church there. When I But I have my home church here. Right. So, and I try and, and create my little communities so that wherever I go, I love to travel. So wherever I go, I always can kind of go like, oh, that's my home there. Nice. We're one big church. We're supposed to be anyway. Right, right. I was I was thinking more like on the lines of like recovery meetings or whatever though. Oh, I, you know, I'll be honest. This probably isn't going to be the most um, well received, but my recovery and my meetings are every single day with Jesus, like every day. Right, right on. Now, why would that be received in a bad way? Well, because I know like some people are like, what. Because there's a big difference, because I, I do think it's dangerous sometimes when people will say, Jesus is my recovery, because they'll hear me say, Jesus is my recovery. But then I have to explain, I'm not talking about reading a devotional and then still hanging out you know, with my friends who still go to the trap house. Like I'm talking about, I walk with Jesus all day, every day, 24 hours a day. I don't right. listen to secular music, because I know that secular music is going to conflict my mind back to where it shouldn't go. I don't watch... 
secular TV because I know that can flip my mind back. And it's not like prison, you know, it's like I enjoy worship music. I enjoy being in my Bible. I enjoy glorifying the Lord in all things. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus is your recovery, Jesus needs to be 24 hours a day. Right. That's cool, man. I don't, I was just curious why you would think, I guess, I mean. Because I've, I've, I've had people in the recovery world before they kind of hedge their bets on how long Jesus could be my sponsor before I would use again. Yeah. But I mean, from what I'm hearing, you have other friends that are in recovery, right? That you, that you stay in contact with. I mean, so you have a network of supportive people who are like-minded and on a, a similar path. That's, really what it is right i mean recovery like everybody in the beginning thinks that recovery is like always going to meetings always going to fellowship it's like yeah that's part of it that's part of the connecting and feeling like you're part of the we but really recovery is like you're going to do this work that's going to change your life which is really all directly out of the bible amen and that's what we do, nobody right? like, know, knows that with other believers and that's why I think like taking part in things like what I remember when I first started going to meetings, I was like, I am not going to another stupid spaghetti dinner. I'm not going to another stupid St. Patrick's Day party. I'm not going to a, like whatever. But I didn't realize what they're, the point of that isn't to go to the St. Patrick's Day dinner or the spaghetti dinner. The point of that is to show you that you can actually have a life that doesn't include getting high mm-hmm. and using and drinking and being smashed all the time. And, you know, so I have that same thing. I just have that within my, I have so many friends who are Christ followers who are also in recovery that we're kind of our own meeting. You know right. what I mean? Like we talk all the time. Um, my best friend um, is in recovery and she actually runs a sober house in West Virginia. So like I talk to her every day. So right. it, it's part of my life, but it's not what consumes my life. Like Jesus consumes my life and my sobriety is a fruit of my salvation. Gotcha. So yeah, the, uh, what you were saying there, it's so true. It's like, if you, they talk about, you know, in the big book, they talk about, you know, the 12th, the 12th, uh, tradition is like principles before personalities. Right. So like we were talking about earlier, you know, you, you put this dude on a pedestal, he breaks up with you. Now you're like, screw those means, screw that recovery stuff. It's all bullshit because of what, per, exactly. what this person did to me, right? That's not principles for personalities. <laughs> for personalities is realizing that I can't judge the whole based on the actions of the one. And I'm going to believe in this process and what it has to offer me. Uh, principles for personalities means that I'm trying to practice these principles in all my affairs. That means when I'm at church, when I'm at work, maybe if it's uh, agreeable or appropriate, uh, I'm going to not shy away from sharing parts of my story if it if I feel it's uh, you know on my heart to do so. I'm going to be able to be open about my life and, and therefore where I've been and where I don't want to go again. So that holds me accountable. Now people know that I'm on the path and I'm trying to be sober, that I don't want a glass of wine, that I don't want to do this or that. I mean, that's what we're... That's what my point was, you know, long story long, is that recovery is supposed to be something we live every day, all day, like you said. And it's not... You got to live it every day. Right. And it's not not something that we can 
uh, do, you know, in certain places and then go live, uh, and do like secret stuff, you know, like we gotta be real and authentic and really you gotta have that desire to change every day and grow every day and learn every day. And people need to know, you know, you need to have community as an essential. And having a sponsor is just like in Christianity when we say we should disciple. Well, you you have mentors, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But we also like think about discipleship in Christianity, right? And then think about sponsoring somebody. Right. Yeah. Same principle. For sure. Same principle. Like my, I got a couple guys that, you know, I think of them almost like spiritual fathers to me. You know what I mean? Yep. Spiritual parents. Like they've, they've uh, taught me a lot and modeled a lot for me. I think so much of that has to do with not so much, you know, the things that they can like verbally teach you, show you, tell you, but it's like, you know, the things that you observe in their life, you know, that their walk matches their talk and that, you know, they're, they're living an example of what, you know, if you want that. And you so you should be, if you have that in your life, just put effort into those relationships, developing them, Amen. you know, for sure. So anything else did you want to share with us? Or what do you think? I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we did. I'm just saying, you kind of gave it away a little bit ago that you held back a lot. So I was just thinking, oh, no, 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 just, you know, like, <laughs> no, just like, you know, there's things, encounters, whatever, yeah. like that aren't necessarily relevant, but I just don't want people to ever look at somebody's story and think mine's too bad or mine's not bad enough. Cause you right. see both ends of that. Right. And just know like your walk, and your story is your testimony mm-hmm. and that testimony will save someone else. And there are certain parts of my story that I don't share because that part of my story is just for that girl. And when I see that girl, I know that girl. And when I see that girl, I go up and I say to that girl, I know you. Oh yeah. And that, so that's that part of my story that I don't share because it's not meant for the world. It's just meant for her. Amen. That's beautifully put. So some questions. Uh, what's a piece, and I know you're going to say the Bible, but another (laughs) piece of literature that like has helped you in your journey uh, of recovery or whatever. And I'm not allowed to say the Bible. You can say the Bible. Cause it's pretty much the Bible. Like it it truly is. It truly is the Bible. I don't, I don't read any other books because my whole thing is there's 66 books of the Bible until I've studied them all out. There's nothing else really that I need to read. I will tell you, though, if someone doesn't know where to start in the Bible, uh, my greatest recommendation is start in the Gospel of John because it's the Gospel of love. And until you understand how much he loves you, mm-hmm. everything else is not going to make sense because he is love. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he isn't looking to judge you. He's the God of, of judge, just judgment. But he's tra- chasing you down here for love, not judgment. Amen. Well, I will put that in the show notes to start with the book of John because it's the gospel of love. Okay. Um, What, what the heck was it? I I just drew a brain fart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wait. Okay. So yeah, book recommendation. And then what would be like, if you could give one piece of advice to somebody who's broken, hurting and seeking something different in their life, like what's the, greatest piece of advice that you ever heard 
that helped you that you would give to somebody else? Find one person that you trust and be completely raw and transparent with your pain and what you're going through. Um, not a million people want one person who you know who is clean and sober and knows the Lord and take that to that one person and just be completely brutally honest with them about who you are and what you're walking through. Because until we can face our demons, we can't slay them. And as long as we leave a couple of demons lingering around in the closet, they will rear their ugly head. Right. You got to leave no stone unturned, right? None. Find them suckers and smash them. Jesus Christ is healed. He will crush the demons under our feet meaning he will empower us to do it. Not him. He will empower us to do it. Right. And so if we don't pull the rock back and pull the snake out, then that thing's going to rear its head and bite you. Amen. That's so true. <laughs> it doesn't go away, man. If anything, nope. it like grows into this crazy snake that's like super mutated and scary. Well, look at that book of <laughs> Revelation, right? Like you look at Genesis and it's a snake. You look at Red Revelation, and it's a red dragon. Who's been feeding that thing? We went from snake to dragon. You know right. what I mean? So it's like you got to starve that thing out. Amen. All right. Well, that's about it. Uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming on. It's really been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a little bit. And thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super stoked that it uh, worked out. It was funny because I've literally I've been doing this for a couple of years now, and I've never had Charles hit me up and say that. I've never had that happen. That's awesome. So I have no well, doubt. Thank mind, you. I have no doubt in my mind that this is going to reach some years that maybe, you know, needed to. You know, yeah, I think it might help people find God. You know, in the I pray so. I pray the same thing. So thank you again. And yeah, anything I want to say, parting words to the peeps. You know, just here's what I would say is just who the sun sets free is free indeed. Um, and that doesn't promise us a life without turmoil or pain. It just means he's going to be there to pick us up and dust us off and you will have peace. I have peace for the first time in my life. Amen. It's peace beyond all understanding. Amen. All right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day, Heidi, and I can't Thank wait to you. put this out, and I hope you all enjoy it, and thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week, so keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast.com all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time, and remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.